helping CEOs and business leaders discover the energy to perform exceptional brilliance and positively impact the lives of those around them. Be inspired by world leaders and next level gurus. This is the Active CEO Podcast, where the ordinary don't belong. And now your hosts, Craig Johns and Ben Gathercole. On this episode of the Active CEO Podcast, we have the pleasure of speaking with a phenomenal CEO who has found her dream job, where she combines her passion for sport and desire to improve health and well-being of a nation. Known for her ability to engage a diverse audience, she values having different voices and opinions at the table. She knows that to influence a system, you need to get inside it, be responsible, and don't give up. As a leader, she believes in working with people on a team, showing them a vision for the future, and being truly authentic. As one of the leading female CEOs in the global sport industry, she has a successful record in leading transformational organization change, instilling good governance and providing excellent people management at Nepal Victoria and Nepal Australia. In her current role as CEO of Sport Australia, she is tasked with the role of leading and catalyzing a sport industry to encourage more Australians to become more active and shape the future of elite and grassroots sport. Ben and I feel very privileged to introduce and welcome you to our very special guest, Kate Palmer. Kate, welcome to the show. Thank you, Craig. And what an introduction. <laughs> You've had a highly, highly esteemed and, and very um, successful, successful career, career yeah, yeah. over the last few years. Thank so you. well done. Let's take a walk back in memory lane. And I would like you to remember what it was like as a child to be playing netball with your friends. What are the emotions that immediately come to mind? Well, it's actually interesting because um, I bumped into uh, a, a woman that I played netball with when we were t- just teenagers on, on the weekend. And it was actually really natural. I hadn't seen her for about 30 years. And, and just to give her a massive hug and um, have an opportunity to say, what wasn't that fabulous how much fun we had uh, as, as young women um, and how fortunate we were to have uh, women then who I guess showed us the way and taught us values and and I guess cared for us. So, you know, they're, they're the sorts of emotions that come to me is about here's someone I hadn't seen for such a long time, but I felt still really strongly connected with them. Yeah, sport has that amazing mm. ability to do that. Yes. So um, just a little bit of your background, where did you grow up and family and, and other sports that you might have been involved with? Yeah, so that was probably important. That is important because I think the opportunity to grow up in country Victoria in Shepparton um, was really important. It was, you know, lots of sport being played there. And I actually played softball, um, reps, rep softball. I was a catcher, mm. which I really loved, and uh, netball. Uh, but we also had um, uh, an interest in um, water skiing. So I grew up water skiing as a child at Lake Eildon. And, um, but my parents were both active, very active people. So, you know, as a kid in, in uh, country Victoria, you could actually still ride your bike to school and and play in the, you know, go around to the oval and, and, and run around the oval and do it, you know, perfectly safe. Yep. And I think that was, for me, the, you know, an ideal childhood. Yep. And interesting, you just brought up riding your bike because I've also heard that even currently in your role, <laughs> uh, when you go through meetings, uh, phone conferences, you actually sit on a stationary bike just to stay active. I do. Yeah. Well, look, I found myself taking on this role and I, have to, I won't tell you how much I ha- what weight I have put on, <laughs> but just actually not being active enough has um, caused me some issues 
So um, uh, we've, I've put a bike in my office, a stationary bike, and it's. Um, I have to be careful about not going too fast. <laughs> or no hill reps. No hill reps. I know. Yeah. I get a little bit breathless. But for me, it actually. I actually wanted. What I really want to do is put another bike next to me. So when people come and meet with me, they have to sit on the bike next to me. Uh, and I, not a, it's not a competition, but um, <laughs> so that at least we're both doing that. I do also walk around the campus with people, which I really enjoy as well. Yeah, this, that concept of walking meetings yeah, is a big right. one nowadays and, yeah. and very relevant, actually. Well, I think um, people are, interestingly, in that environment, tend to give more of themselves. So it's a, it's a more interesting meeting because they're relaxed and they're, um, you know, it's very mi- you're very mindful because you're in a space that... No, you know, there are not people knocking on the door or other people interrupting you. Yeah. And can I just cast back a little bit to your time in Victoria about being involved in the, in all the sports that you were? I mean, more competitive or was it more uh, participation-based? And the, how, the, how did the school play a role in those? Yeah. Look, I think it was, I was fairly competitive. Yeah. I, um, I, you know, I, I loved it. I, you know, I was in little athletics as well. Actually, I was in the first year of little when little athletics was established, and that yeah. probably does age me a little bit. But um, nineteen eighty eight, <laughs> yes, yeah, <laughs> something like that. I was really fortunate, um, you know, to to be able to have a lot of those sorts of influences and be a very active um, in in a range of different things. So. Um, you know, I, I I valued that enormously, and uh, and it really it set me up. And I, in those days, too, physical activity or phys ed was in schools, mm. so schools provided the foundation, and everyone was involved. And you also had an opportunity because you, if you wanted to take a leadership role, it gave you an ex- an opportunity to learn about what it took to be a leader. Yeah, and I, I know, and to stay on the country um, mm. and sport theme, we spoke with Anne Gripper from. Um, YMCA, New South Wales, yep, New New South Wales, and she's really actively involved in that now, and and really spoke about the benefits of a country community having the ability to to play sport and be active. Ah, look, I think that um, that's key to communities in in any uh, part of Australia, but especially in rural and regional areas. Um, You know, they don't have the same opportunities now. I think, and that's something we we need to pay attention to, but. It actually, you know, people stay connected. And, and the football netball um, example is a great example now. I think early days for um, females in, in, in football clubs was not great, but now it's very equitable or more equitable. And it's a great community activity. And if you only have to go, I go quite regularly in Shepparton and actually go and watch the Swans play. And, and uh, you know, the families are there and they have lunches and, uh, and there's, um, it's a really a fabulous environment. And so I, um, I think you know that that community um, building that can happen because of what it does is engage local businesses. They sponsor the um, organisation, sausage sizzle, sausage, and, and the government invests, and people donate their time, and they create things together. And yeah. I think, you know, it's, it's it's absolutely critical to the health of um, local communities. So, Kate, could I just pick up on what you were saying just before about maybe not the opportunities available nowadays mm. as what no. they might have been when we all grew up? Mm. Um, how do you see that, or how do you think that you can change that and make yeah. it more active again? Well, I think it's a huge issue, and I, th- I think you know the three factors around. Um, you know, if you live in a rural and regional area, if you if you um, uh, a low-income family, or you you come from a non-English speaking background, you really are going to not have very many have very many opportunities at all. And I think this is something that Australia needs to take responsibility for. 
I fundamentally believe that this is this is critical to our future as a nation in terms of the way the health of our communities uh, and I'm not suggesting being a physically active can solve everything um, but I think it's part of the puzzle and if we don't make sure that we do that well um, we're going to see rising obesity we're going to see rising health issues uh, and we're going to see people um, that are you know well kids sitting in front of screens forevermore so I think it's fundamental and I believe that schools are key to this and um, you know we we fund the government funds a, a you know 40 million dollar annually sporting schools program uh, but we need to do more than just count the number of kids that are involved we actually need to ha have an impact on them mm -hmm. and make sure that they learn how to move funny isn't it can you imagine saying that you have to learn how to move yeah it's amazing but, isn't yeah it? it is and and these days it's really important uh, learn how to move but also be motivated so that how make sure that they stay involved for for their life mm. and do, do you have a thought about the indigenous side of this yeah. too with our indigenous kids yeah well yeah. look there's clearly there they are not getting an opportunity there are some wonderful organizations like Clontarf that that actually provide structured programs the government across the country invest in that there's a range of different examples I think uh, I think there's still a, a missing link is that um, Indigenous women and girls don't get the same opportunity and that is still in the gap, is, is still quite a gap. Um, I, you know, I, I think there's been, um, you know, some sports like AFL who've done extraordinarily well in connecting with Indigenous communities. But I, I think still Australian society's probably not quite got their head around the fact that, you know, our first people need a lot more respect. And I think if we could use sport as that vehicle, um, and not engage with them just because they happen to be good athletes, engage because it's important for their connection with our community, mm. um, I think we'll be healthier as a nation. So I, I'm, uh, you know, I, uh, I played um, actually basketball and netball with Indigenous uh, young women in my early days in Shepparton. We had quite a large uh, Indigenous community there and my sister actually was involved in the ASH program uh, and coached um, the Indigenous netball team there and my niece played in the team. Fantastic. So I have a, yeah, I have a really strong connection to um, the opportunity, what it means. And, and do those programs still operate today? They do, yeah. yeah. Look, there's, um, Shepparton has a, a really healthy, um, uh, lots of great community programs for Indigenous people, but I'm not mm. saying it's solving the problem either. Mm. I think it's, I think in those days, in the early days, everyone saw it as an Indigenous problem. It was actually our problem, yeah. and so now there's it's a more, community problem. Yeah, well, actually, yeah. Paul Briggs, uh, who came from that area, uh, said to that to me one day, and I've never forgotten it. And I saw him recently, actually, and said to him, "You know that those words might sound so simple, but I it was quite profound for me about um, it's not, you know, it's all of us have to care about this. Mm. And Australia still, I don't think Australia um, is still doing that well enough. The so sport played a major part of your upbringing. So I'm just curious about what inspired you to become a sport administrator and what skills did you develop during those early years yeah. that have helped you um, in, be the leader you are now? Uh, well, look, I probably, um, a couple of years overseas when I was, um, uh, you know, I'm relatively young, I always wanted to work in sport and, you know, in those days you did physical education if you wanted to be involved in sport and I, I was sort of got waylaid a bit into the financial, into an accounting course and really wasn't for me. I got into fashion design and did all these other things and went overseas for a couple of years. 
And while I was over there, I thought, well, you know, if this is what I love, why don't I study? So I went back and was then Philip Institute, I started um, sports science, ended up doing an honours degree there, and um, I just loved every minute, a bit of it actually. Um, uh, it was so fabulous. And it's interesting as a CEO of a sport, I reflected at the time that um, having that background in sports science, and even now, uh, I don't pretend to be a high performance person, but I get how it works and I get the importance of investment and uh, what athletes need. Um, I took up coaching and officially I've done most of the things that you would want to do in sport. So um, yeah, and I guess I'm also quite a practical person, quite pragmatic and I, you know, I could see things, I, can, I like to change things and I like to fix things. So it became natural to me to want to change um, the way things and improve the way things uh, are done. So it's sort of a, a logical step for me to go into more study in um, business so that I, I was better at it and learnt more. Um, and I, I was lucky to have some really um, people that I looked up to and who taught me a lot about, um, well, leadership in particular, um, about the good values, but also the, the opportunity. So I was, even though I was a really strong advocate for women in sport, I took a position of change, early, early days, we've got to stop complaining and start doing something about it. So what does that look like? And um, I still take that position now that um, uh, you need to get inside and actually fix it, stop whinging about it. And and so you talked about taking a business course. Mm. You know, how did you go about that? How did you possibly fit that in in the whole sport picture? Yeah. I mean, it's a it's an amazing thing. Well, it was actually I was fortunate. My uh, the CEO of Netball Victoria at the time was actually one, a pioneer in sport in Victoria and actually introduced to sort of inc the incorporated association. You know, he, he was responsible for really improving the governance of sport in Victoria. And um, so he supported me. And in actual fact, it was really every, after every, um, I did it um, after hours, yeah. I would come in the next day and we would spend about an hour talking about the lecture the night before, the relevance to our business, um, what did I learn? How could I use it? What could I apply it today? And so he, I was fortunate that I had someone that could actually um, make sure I understood that. But I also I worked, um, you know, in the, in the course with some people. In actual fact, I still am in touch with them now, and they work in the industry. And so I was lucky to be well start that network or connection. Yeah, networks and relationships yeah, is still right. a, a yeah, incredible key. part of yeah, what we do. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So can you paint a picture, so to speak, um, of your first day at the Australian Sports Commission, which is now rebranded <laughs> as Sport Australia? How did it look? Oh, look, I was so excited um, uh, because, you know, it's tough being a CEO of a sport. It was, it was tough, uh, especially at the national level. Um, and so I, I couldn't wait to get here. I felt like a weight had lifted off my shoulders, actually. and. And I felt it was familiar because I'd always valued the, the role the Australian Sports Commission had played uh, with my, the sport that I was involved in. And so the first day was just, um, you know, a sense of excitement around um, uh, you want the opportunity, really. And then, um, you know, meeting people that were both familiar but then unfamiliar because, you know, I was in, I was in a different role. Uh, it's not, you know, absolutely, and I've said this a few times, the breadth, the depth, the people you work with, 
the opportunities is it's been everything it's lived up to every that I expect my expectations totally and I, I you know the quality of the people you get to work with so I now work with CEOs of NSOs and I sort of feel vaguely responsible for the sort of I feel quite a bit caring towards them because I know they're not, they're you, you living know how hard they're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> their lives yeah. I oh seriously I, I feel for them mm. yeah, it's interesting you've, you've kind of transitioned really well into the next mm. question because it's you know, you've gone from being a CEO of a mm. team of employees yes. who you're directly responsible, yeah. and now you're kind of responsible for both those you directly employ, plus mm. all these external national sport organisations, mm. state sport organisation, club volunteers that you yeah. have some level of hierarchical, I suppose, leadership over. And so how has your leadership had to adapt to that mm. change? Yeah, it's a good question, actually. It's, it's actually been a, a, a lot of thinking around what it takes to be a good partner and I think that would be uh, if I if I thought about this organization I would like to see us be a better partner and and what that means is to perhaps you know from a the perspective of us focus on the things that count um, stop being too operational elevate ourselves up to do the things that count in the system um, and actually add value and and engage effectively and so it's not always telling people about what they should be doing, but it's listening to what they're saying. And so for me, it's, um, uh, you know, I, I value the opportunity. I mean, it's, a, it's actually a, a real honour to be able to be involved in things that actually, and I can support people that are doing really good things in the industry. The industry's changed a lot in the last five, ten years, um, and it's increasingly professional. The quality of the CEOs is extraordinary, that's lifting every year. So um, my job is really making sure that what we do counts and so, that we add value. So it might be really um, a, a simple question and it would probably interest all our listeners. What, what is the structure that you work under? Because I, I sort of know that you answer to the minister, so to yeah. speak, and, but there's lots of layers underneath. Yeah, well, we're, we're a government agency, so I do report to the minister, but I also report to a board who are appointed by the government. Um, and you know there is an office for sport. It is actually relatively complex in that way because it's a the minister's office, the office for sport, and us. And so that relationship with them is really critical. And we, to be honest with you, I feel like that we're, we're one of one organisation uh, in essence. Um, but in terms of our relationship with sports, I guess the major change that I wanted to see, and I'm I'm hoping that I'm seeing it. I'm hoping I'm not just dreaming this, but. Uh, changing from a transactional relationship around we're we're you know we're not a bank yep. we're not a funder hmm. we're not going to give you money you do things but that's the traditional notion though yeah yep. and it's got to change it's yep. actually have to, we have to add value and oh, we still want to fund sport yep. but we want to make sure that um, that they're actually doing the right thing we're responsible for a lot of money uh, on behalf of the government so how do we actually make sports accountable but not put layers of compliance on them and then um, be truly truly add value yeah. so focus on the stuff that counts because you you would know from your experiences with netball mm. victoria about how cumbersome the yep. compliance side of it is so you've got real good insight into what yep. you want to create it yeah and look i have to say the board uh, you know we, we've just re um, redeveloped or reviewed our investment models and they will be different going forward and one of the, uh, not so much in the, at the AIS, but certainly in our uh, participation or the industry area, uh, is how do we make it, why do we simplify it? Let's take all of the, the layers of, of you know, compliance or criteria off and make it s simple. 
Mm. You know, you, ha you have funding to invest in your future, direct your strategy, uh, as long as it fits with government policy. And most, look, generally we all do. So that's been really interesting, lay removing layers. I mean, to go back to my first day, it wasn't quite my first day, but the difference between when I started and when there was, a, you know, a, you know, about 20 or 30 documents on my desk that I had to clear. So pushing that down in the organisation so that people were accountable. Uh, I don't have to sign off on everything now. You know, there are lots of really, they're capable people in this organisation. It's about saying you're responsible. Take responsibility, make a decision. If you fail or if you make a mistake, we'll fix it. We'll fix it together, but um, at least have a go at it. And um, so that builds capability as well. And we that's the same with issue with sport. You know, I'm really, I really think we should show enormous respect to sports and what they do. Um, and sports will make mistakes. It's about then how we work with them to help them recover. And and actually, at the end of the day, it's a, it is about athletes, you yep, know. Yeah. And could we just put them at central to what we do? That would be really cool. And at the end of the day, it's okay to make the mistakes because that's how you yeah, learn. Absolutely. Also. Yeah, absolutely. And so you, you're a big advocate of yeah, that. Yeah. Absolutely. You need to... Well, could, but the other thing is we've got people who can make, actually can make decisions. So, uh, you know, why it would come to a CEO, I'm not sure. Yeah. And did you know that before you came into the organisation or you reviewed, thought, yeah. And that, yeah, this is how I think we should go forward? Yeah, look, I had an, a sense of that because of my, you know, I guess the way the Australian Sports Commission worked with us around some of the frustrations of the, of the bureaucratic layers. Mm. Um, but we've got people here who want to change that, and, and we can. There's some things we have to, we have a responsibility. We've, the good things about it are the controls are so strong. The oversight in terms of governance is really good, and that's what it should be like. But how do we free up so we can be more, more agile, that we can make decisions quickly? Uh, we shouldn't have to have put 12 people in a room to make a decision. Yeah. Yeah. That empowerment's really important as a leader, you know, to. Yeah. To bring out the best in people, yeah. which is uh, fantastic. So you know, that leads in kind of to the next section around, you know, we, we're starting to see a number of Australian sports look at their business model mm. or their, their management structures, such as one management or a hybrid or, or full unification, which some have tried. Uh, what do you think is most important for sport organisations to consider and adapt the new business model for the future? Yeah, and look, I think this is really critical for sustainability of sport. I, I, I probably, uh, I think we move beyond, you know, um, thinking sport is just a, an activity that's fun to do. And these businesses now, and they're big businesses, are responsible for significant levels of investment, and they are responsible for delivering outcomes. And we can't, we can't continue to operate in, you know, models that were relevant in the 70s and 80s. I absolutely respect um, that state bodies have um, an actual fact, uh, really are the engine room of um, sport. They're the ones that are on the ground delivering things. Um, but there are some things that they don't have to do and could, if we could put in models that actually change the way they operate. And one sport said to me, um, actually, uh, I won't tell you who it is, but they said, we've got 19, you know, we've got 19 CEOs in our sport. And he said, you know what we don't have? We don't have a commercial manager. We don't have a people and culture person. We don't have a marketing manager. We don't have a, an athlete wellbeing person, but we've got 19 CEOs. And, and it was just, oh. so how do we put a system in place where um, market, so each state has their board that is responsible for understanding their market and making decisions there, but have a structure that doesn't duplicate 
Um, and at the end of the day, they're one into, they actually are one entity. They just operate in a, s a separate way. Um, it's it's going to be a hard road, and every sport's different. And I think to your point, it will you know it's it's an evolution. Some sports are going to probably it will be more of a revolution. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think sports can look at us and say you give us eighty or ninety percent of our revenue, and that's a lot of money, but we're not prepared to improve our business. Yeah. I would be I don't know how that is acceptable in any industry. You know, talking about those decision makers, you know, work in the sport of triathlon and. I think we worked out there's something like about 82% of staff and boards, et cetera, are decision makers, which is complete opposite to a normal company or yes. business. So it, it kind of doesn't really make sense. No, it, do well, it doesn't. It's, it defies logic, really. Yeah. But I guess the issue is how do you get from where we are now to where an optimum model? Yeah. And I think... Well, how do we get the message out? Yeah. How do we get people to buy in? Yeah, and there's going to be politics overlay on that too about, um, you know, uh, it's about you know power and politics influence mm. what, how do how do we actually and it's about people and relationships yeah. and trust so you know it's not something we we are going to we we're going to invest in this significantly uh we're starting with 12 sports in february and they every single one of them will be different and some will actually to be honest with you are, it's bottom up the states are saying we have to do this differently because we can't survive we we're not we won't survive and we won't progress as a sport so where we've got state bodies going to the national body saying, let's change, I think there's the opportunity. Yeah, mm. definitely. And, and then just a, a side question of that, how do you see uh, the truly professional sports fitting into this picture as a, I guess, one family, so to speak? Mm. So an AFL or rugby league, rugby union who are not predominantly funded by Sport Australia? Yeah, so I think that's a really interesting um, uh, question because and sports like cricket have looked at this from their governance perspective. They've actually made, been running major projects over the last four or five years around this, so they're leading the way in, in to some extent. But um, I think that our focus will be on this next layer beyond the big commercial sports. Mm. Um, and it's not because we don't think it's important for them too, but they have different types of business models and um, the, you know they they don't need our help as much as other sports uh, so the investment will go into the sports where uh, we think it'll really make a difference to their performance outcomes and the number of people that are playing in their game but the sport. admittedly these major sports or commercial sports play a massive role in how active we are as a community they do yeah yeah look absolutely they, they, they do um, and and certainly uh, just because we're not investing in those sports or investing a lot in those sports doesn't mean the government isn't. And certainly many layers of uh, government invest significant amounts of dollars in those sports. Yeah. Um, so, but for us, it's really around this next tier, the um, really, I guess, from our highest funded sport, which is swimming, through to sort of the, the next, well, and a couple of that are ready to go. Um, you know, we see them as we'll get them through the program pretty quickly. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. And, and so obviously, you know, we're talking about capability there, ability there. Um, but one of the key things that kind of is, is a big buzzword, I suppose, in, in the sport industry right now is, is integrity. And, mm. you know, obviously, I think we're going to see a lot more play out over the next couple of years. Um, when we see sports, you know, say cricket as a recent example, faced with major cultural and integrity challenges, do you think it's possible to make long-term sustainable changes from within or do, you, or do you think that you need fresh set of eyes from an external point of view to, mm. to help deliver it? Well, I, I think it, it, it's a mix of both. Um, I think, uh, you know, having, and look, cricket has been through an independent review and they've addressed all of the recommendations. They've, 
They've accepted most of them. They've questioned some. Uh, I think uh, they've got a long journey to go on as a sport, but I, I, my view is that most sports in this country uh, um, exposed to that type of review would be found would find, be found wanting. Would would there be elements that they uh, and and us as an organisation we've we're looking at um, our, you know what we're doing and how we go about it. Um, so that that you know we are beyond reproach. We should be we should be setting a standard, and I believe the, you know the large commercial sports should be setting a standard as well. Um, so integrity, you know, the Wood Review, the most comprehensive review of integrity in this country, uh, and I think that they, they've done an incredible job. It's it's astounding the report, and the task force is in place. Report to govern by the end of this year. They'll take a lot of the big eye. I think then there's this other piece of how we, um, you know, the, what, what we value in terms of um, winning, yep. uh, how we go about it, and how, so this sort of, you know, safe, fair, inclusive. How do we, you know, what what are we responsible for? How do we support sports in that space? And, and we've just appointed a new head of integrity here at Sport Australia, and uh, her role. Uh, we've been briefing sports, um, and we're ro rolling out some programs that are really around building capability in this area, and bringing it. They're making sure that it's it's uppermost in every director's mind about their responsibility in this space to always um, ensure that their sport is acting with integrity. And certainly the integrity is a major part, but I know that we're, uh, you're very big on the wellness of our yes. athletes, particularly as they move on mm. through their career um, and how they um, really conduct, not conduct themselves, but act active and healthy lives through the rest of their, their years. Yeah, so Matt, Maddie Clements, who is heading up that air team at um, the AAS, uh, I think it'll be, uh, we, we're incre increasing our investment fourfold in this space. It was, it's been a huge gap mm. in, in the industry. Uh, and you know we're really fortunate to have um, athletes like Ian Thorpe, um, uh, you know, on board as an ambassador and working with us. And we learn so much from athletes who've been through, uh, you know, tough things. Uh, but but for us, it's about uh, actually making sure that the athletes not only um, you know from a, a wellness perspective, but also that they're engaged with their community because I think that's part of that. You know, the wellness is they can add enormous value, but they also need. To be connected in their community and make sure that they, um, uh, you know, uh, it's just not seamless because it probably never can be seamless. But it, as much as possible, we can help them move into the next stages of their lives. I think we've seen recently with the Invictus Games in Sydney mm. how much those factors contribute to um, a, a good, healthy life. Oh, it's it's actually it's the amazing. stories yeah. when you when you see some of the stories coming out of the Defence Force and the Invictus Games. Um, yeah, it's, it lifts the spirits, doesn't it, really? Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that, um, yeah, well, I think we, it's, as an industry, I'm not sure that we've told that story well enough. And, uh, and I think uh, that, that probably, and parasport, I feel the same way about uh, the work that uh, the APC, but also um, a lot of our other disability sports are doing, you know, both in the intellectual and um, physical disability space. Uh, it, it's, it's actually, and look, it's not overstating it, it's changing their lives. Yeah. And I, I think it's, it's fabulous. And I think those ambassadors that I saw at the Invictus Games, it was probably a two-way street. So I saw Stephen Moore yes. there, um, Anna Mears, Ian Thorpe, amongst yeah. others. It was probably as humbling and as and they were probably as grateful for that experience as what the athletes might have been um, in the, in competing. Oh, definitely. I look at it, and, and, but you're talking about some of our 
you know, the, the athletes that, that have stood up and taken leadership positions on the really important things. And I, I you know, it uh, doesn't surprise me that they view the world that way mm. because that's, you know, they are really, um, you know, they're the, they're the people we all look to um, uh, and admire. Yeah. Uh, so it's interesting, you know, we, obviously we're talking about athlete well-being here and, and the importance of that. I think one of the things that's most, one of the most neglected things in sport is around the, the well-being of staff of coaches high performance mm. you know you see high performance staff uh, you know they're working 24 7 365 days a year most of them they don't switch off at all uh, we see a lot of people who have great skill sets as an athlete from time management and and recovering both mentally and physically but as soon as we bring them into the sport industry they burn themselves out very quick quite often they will yeah. they just go 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 because they don't feel that same energy burn they had as an athlete so they keep thinking they have to go and mentally they start to fatigue and then they burn out after a while. So, you know, one of the things I'd like to see a lot more in the sport industry is how we can actually support our people, one, professionally develop and also from a health and well-being point of view. Yeah, look, I think you've raised one of the really the sort of key gaps in terms of development. Um, and there is some work being done. The Performance Leaders Program takes care of the development, professional development piece. But what you're talking about is a lifestyle that very few people can sustain for a long time. Mm. And what would it take to actually, is it, do we have to look at different ways of working? And I think the reality is that's, we, had, we need to do that. And it's why, to be honest with you, I think that a lot of women don't go into that field because generally they, they would not, well, one, they, I don't think they'd survive. Often they, they may have a family and they just yeah. can't do it because of that, which is, a, which is an issue. So why are we not looking at a different way of working? And uh, so that's something that I think the industry, I think that's a, some research or, and pro I'm sure there is lots of work out there that, but a review of that literature and actually finding out more um, is really important going forward because the workforce around athletes, if it's not capable and strong, you know, they're the, they're the people that actually can, can actually have a massive impact on success. Yeah. So, yeah, I think you've raised a really key gap. Yeah, Ben and I have both been involved in high performance and, and in coaching levels, and, you know, this is something we've discussed a number of times, and we yeah. talked to some of our, say, new triathlete, triathlon yeah. coaches, is around, you know, you don't actually need to be at every single session. Yeah. Um, so you need to think a little bit around how, to, how do you balance that energy yeah. for yourself and put some ownership back on the athletes. You know, they, you know they've got to think for themselves when they're going out to perform. Yeah. Yeah, you're not there with them. They're doing it by themselves. Yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah. Look, I think you're right, and uh, uh, it, it is. Um, it, it, I, I suspect the lack of uh, investment in coaching across the pathway is is uh, a real problem, and doesn't. So it's actually not about teaching technical skills. It's about what you're talking about is managing your life and yep. managing your time. And so, uh, how do we do? Is that do we do that? And we've certainly looked at the programs we run at the, well not run, but we develop at the grassroots level, which is more about, it's less about accreditation and the technical capabilities, but more about um, managing athletes, managing yourself, managing the people around you, because a coach, as you know, you know, you, all of a sudden you're responsible for all these other people. Yes. And, um, but have you, has anyone actually ever um, helped you yeah. or developed the skills to actually do that well? And, uh, uh, or provide you even with um, some coaches who are really technically brilliant. Um, you know, often you'd put people around them that actually have those other skills to complement them. Um, so look, looking at that in a more sophisticated way is needed, I think. Yeah. 
And Kate, this is a good segue into you as a leader in your organisation. What what do you employ, so to speak, in helping your staff with their health and wellness? Yes, it's that, it was really exciting because the the move it, the release of the move it campaign. And look, don't don't um, uh, you know we, we don't worry. People have questioned us about the investment in that. Why why did we invest in that? And couldn't we have put more money into high performance or more money into participation? It came out really strongly out of our um, research, and certainly our meetings with sports, saying somebody has to say this out loud, and we have to start the conversation. So it's unlikely we will invest the same level again. Mm. Um, but to get this moving um, was really important. And then we, we our, our social club here said, well, what are we going to do? And um, so we've actually talked about a range of things that we need to do um, on campus to keep people fit yep. and healthy because they tend to uh, sit in their offices. And um, uh, so I, I think uh, it's, they've suggested a couple of mini Olympics and things like that where we can actually be in teams so it can be a team building thing as well. Yeah, fantastic. But we talk about it. We, to, we talk about farm. We use Find Our 30 all the time. You know, yep. have you found, you know, it's actually interesting how quickly it caught, it's, it's caught on mm. um, and people are, um, I see them actually a lot of the staff at lunchtime and we have a running club and um, you know, so people play, they take, play touch football and they use the fields around here for a lot of different things. So. Certainly ideal facility to do that. That's right, yeah. yeah. Um, do you have any rituals or habits that you do each day to ensure that you're the best version of yourself when you walk in? Yeah, um, you know, I've always had, I've been of the, the, if you don't wake up in the morning and, and can't wait to get to work, then you shouldn't go to work. So I really feel quite energised by being here and being with the people. So I, I, um, I, I usually like to go, at the moment of war, prior to this job, and I have to say, it's, that has, I was, an, I was a daily exerciser and, uh, you know, I'd spend about 40 minutes a day exercising. I started this job and I don't know that I had a life for quite some time. Uh, so I am, am, and in actual fact, the Move It campaign got me back into exercise. Um, so even to the point, you know, that go back to that exercise bike is I've got some articles that because I stopped reading as well. So you stop exercising, you stop reading, you go to too many functions, you don't eat well. So how do I actually try and change that balance? Change that balance? Yeah. And so walking in the morning, a healthy breakfast um, and, you know, that whole energy about, you know, what the day will bring. You know, it's it's um, it's really I love that. Uh, feeling of pulling up at work and yep. and saying good morning. Mm. So we all know smart people have great answers, uh, but the best people have great questions. <laughs> so when was the last time you did something for the first time? Oh, um, oh I don't know. Actually. Oh, well, see, I feel like there's a lot of firsts here because of I'm coming to moving to Canberra, um, and that's why I'm enjoying being here. It's such a beautiful city. I had no idea. So there's lots of firsts of seeing things for the first time, and I've, that's probably my, my uh, a lot of my firsts. Um, I I don't think that I've uh, there's anything uh, completely different. I always think it'd be nice to learn how to speak a language or do other, but but I think maybe that's a little time to come once I slow down a little bit. So, so to sell the virtues of Canberra, what's your favourite uh, Canberra location so well, far? Well, it, it is. It has to be the lake, mm. and uh, and although I love this campus and our team here, and I always, after our we delivered our corporate story, I went up to one of the guys that works in the team and I said, "So, what did you think?" He said, "I really like it, but you know what? I just changed the light bulbs," and I said, "I said, you know what? 
you know, don't underestimate how important that is. Yeah. Um, and so, but the care of the, the people that work on this campus, and you can see it, it's such a beautiful campus, yeah. but the lake is, is lovely. Um, I walk around it a lot, I ride around it, um, I live on it, um, and uh, I love watching the rowers every morning. That's my, as soon as I hear the oars outside, that's my, you need to get up. That's uh, a good alarm if, clock, if, isn't it? Yeah. That's different. <laughs> if they're up, I might as well be. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Um, what's your favourite interview question and why? Uh, I don't know. I, get, I think it's talk. It's a it's a question about the importance of of activity, physical activity, to Australians. I mean, I just it's absolutely. Um, if I could do anything, if you if you know if I finish this job and that hasn't changed, then I'll be disappointed. So that's the one I like the most because um, you know I, I think we can we can do so much more. And uh, last question of the day, um, who has made the greatest impact on your career and why? Uh, look, probably, um, oh, I don't know if there's anyone, but my, probably my partner, um, Hugh is, you know, he, I used to always call it the Hugh Palmer Scholarship because I went back to university as a mature age student and he funded that, and, um, but he's a, he's a great support. In actual fact, he calls himself, um, uh, you know, the, the corporate handbag. Uh, <laughs> but I tell you what, he uh, functions, he's great because he, you know, I, I live in a man's world most of the time. And he uh, he's allocated. He gets a, he gets the guest list, and the and he looks after um, guests as well. And he's been a great supporter of mine. And um, yeah, we have a great life. Fantastic. Well, it's been a an absolute pleasure to interview you today. Uh, you've um, some wonderful stories, great insights into the way that you work. Uh, talking about how how you started out in sport, mm. and then you know going through some really big transformational changes in in both netball and, and now also with Sport Australia. So we really appreciate and thank you very much for your time and it's been a real pleasure. Great, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, Kate. On this week's Active CEO Wellness Tip, we're talking about self-regulation. So Craig, I just want to ask you some of the questions around why you see it important that we self-regulate within the workplace and, and probably home life also. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of talk around the emotional intelligence and the importance of, you know, being able to understand different people's perspectives and, you know, being in that space where you've got a really good understanding of what are my emotions at this time and being able to handle those and deal with them. So when you start to feel yourself getting a little bit angry, how can you pull that back, regulate yourself and ensure that you're in a great frame of mind? Yeah, certainly, and I know we've spoken about this before, but the real reactionary type emotion uh, when you really jump on top of something and you've you've come in too hard, it's always going to have a negative impact on how the situation plays out. So being that little bit more thoughtful, mindful, uh, slowing things down a little bit, uh, and being really aware of your self-regulation is one of the keys to this. Oh, we all know that you know as a leader, it's important that we're in a calm state, and the calmer we are, the better the team around us will perform. So it's important for us to make sure that you know we can deliver that day in day out and. Um, be extremely emotionally aware of everyone involved and as you said you know that starts with yourself absolutely and, and we know that being calm helps you think and then speak rationally make rational decisions uh, so it's a, an asset to a leader it's been another amazing show on the active ceo podcast we were very privileged today to have kate palmer from the ceo of sport australia uh, in the studio with us 
and you know we got a really really good insight into her upbringing through this through sport how that has shaped her career and now how she's taking what she's learned and and bringing that into you know not just her workplace but also society in Australia. Yeah Craig uh, I agree with that and all I can say is that Kate's done some amazing things through her professional career and she remains so humble about that but more than humble she's really passionate about what she's doing and I think she even stated that she she would do it for free essentially Um, it's not a job to her it's something that's just really at the core of her and as you said that's sort of from her young her upbringing you know, family, community, sport orientated. Just an amazing lady and really privileged to listen to her today. Yeah, and obviously she's, you know, she's taken that lead herself and she's out there, she's ensuring that she is leading an active lifestyle. Um, she obviously wasn't there for a little while, gets, you know, as we all know, as CEOs and leaders, when we're changing or coming into organization for the first time, it can be very busy. Um, so there's some good lessons to learn from there that you, know, you still need to keep your activity going, your exercise going, even when you are really busy. Um, you know, she talked about being on a bike when she yeah. goes to conference calls. How cool is that? Yeah, that was amazing. And, you know, I, I found that really fantastic for, for Kate to be so honest and truthful about really when coming into the role was a massive workload and a massive shift. Um, and you don't often hear people speak truthfully about their experiences, and she certainly did. Um, and the question that you asked her about uh, what did she do uh, for the first time, um, amazing she was enjoying being in Canberra one of uh, Australia's national capital um, and just looking listening and learning yeah and we, you know that's obviously how we keep growing too and I think that's really important and um, you know we talked about transformational change in there um, the difficulties that you've got to overcome the different styles of leadership that are required in that space and you know now she's dealing with a very complex kind of ecosystem where it's not just her employees she's also dealing with people that aren't employed by her that you know they're external stakeholders um, you've got your national sport organization state sport organizations it goes right down to clubs and club volunteers yeah and that's that's um, down at the bottom layer um, at the top layer dealing with the minister and government um, chasing funding and big picture type um, thoughts like that very difficult to do and uh, she seems to have all those bases covered so really uh, a great learning opportunity to spend time with her. And obviously they're, they're going a bit of a change, you know, not just high performance and participation in sport, but they're also going into getting people active and, and healthy and through the, the Move It campaign and What's Your 30. Yeah, and What's Your 30. Fantastic, isn't it? And, yeah. and wasn't it, uh, you know, for me it was great to hear that her staff and their social club had actually got together and gone, you know, how do we use this? And it, it is actually becoming terms they use on a daily basis around, you know, what's your 30, what are you getting involved in? We're playing a game of touch. Um, do you want to go for a walk? Or here's the running club and um, you're Not, walking meetings as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They don't just uh, talk the talk, they actually walk it too. Um, and she's a, a true leader in that. She's not just pushing other people out the door to do that. She was actually buying into that process. Um, I think the last thing we probably covered there was around the different governance structures and management structures of sport in Australia. Obviously, we have a federated structure where we've got eight states and territories, plus we also have a federal level. And that happens across all sectors and industries in Australia. And so we're trying to look at more efficient ways to run sport and be more effective in the way that we lead and manage and use our resources. So looking at one management models where there might still be nine entities but the actual staff are managed in one spot and you've got shared services or shared behaviors going on as well and and then maybe you know there's opportunities for some 
sport organization to become fully unified where everything's under one organization. And it's just trying to strip out the difficulties, the bureaucracy levels, and try and keep things really simple. And I think that really came across in our discussions with her today around that, you know, it's really important to keep things simple and let's try and take out some of the layers. Absolutely, and, and certainly the strength with what Kate's talking about is she comes from the coalface. She's been there and done that from admin, um, early or early playing in sport, coaching, um, administrating. She knows how cumbersome some of the systems are and to start to lead an organisation that wants change for the better, um, you know, the thing she was saying was, let's make it easy. It doesn't need to be so cumbersome. Uh, fantastic. I thought it was really, really enlightening for us. And I think that's an insightful take home. Keep it simple. Yep. Um, this is the Active CEO podcast, where the ordinary don't belong. Join the Active CEO movement by visiting www.nrgtoperform.com. That's N-R-G number two perform.com. Share this podcast on LinkedIn and be sure to tag in NRG to perform. Leave a review on iTunes. Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the NRG to perform Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next Active CEO podcast where the ordinary don't belong.